This is Amy Poehler. My new movie, Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2, is coming to theaters June 14th, and it's making me feel joy Woo! and sadness oh. and anger. Ah. Definitely some disgust. Rose! And I think a little fear. Ah. But I'm also feeling these new emotions like anxiety, embarrassment, envy, and ennui. Ah. It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14. Get tickets now. You're listening to Slice of Cheese with Jenny Linford on Food FM. Savor the crunch of Peter's Yard sourdough crackers. Available at Waitrose, Sainsbury's, Ocado, Amazon, petersyard.com, and specialist food retailers. To find out more about Food FM and our content, go to foodfmradio.com. Hello, welcome to A Slice of Cheese, the Food FM radio series that celebrates the world of cheese. I'm Jenny Linford, a food writer and cheese enthusiast, the author of Great British Cheeses. Cheese is a delicious and fascinating food, and we're setting out to explore this remarkable food and share the stories of the people who make, sell and love it. This week on A Slice of Cheese, we're looking at the role of women in cheesemaking. Historically, the making of cheese and other dairy products was women's work. And traditionally, a lot of cheese knowledge was shared and passed on by women. And that's true today as well. We talked to cheddar cheesemaker Mary Quick, Sarah Appleby of Appleby's Cheshire, Julie Cheney of St Jude's Cheese, Tracy Colley of the Academy of Cheese, which is a new organisation that promotes cheese knowledge, and Hero Hirsch, head of retail for Paxton Whitfield, the cheesemongers established in 1797. Online, on smart speakers, and on Listen Again, this is Food FM. Savour the crunch of Peter's Yard sourdough crackers. Available at Waitrose, Sainsbury's, Ocado, Amazon, petersyard.com, and specialist food retailers. Well, it's very lovely to have Mary Quick from Quick's Cheddar on the show again. Mary, hello. Good morning. (laughs) Good morning. How are you? I'm I'm happy because the sun is shining. And Mary, I was really interested. This this program we're looking at at the sort of women in cheese and the role that women have played in you know the hard work that women have done in making cheese over the centuries, and also the role they've played in passing on knowledge. Tell me the, the story about your 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 mother was a very seminal figure in your farm taking up cheese making again, wasn't she? Tell me the story of your of your mother and Quick's cheddar. Sure. Well, the. The story of us making cheese is that my father, as a very young boy, had decided that we definitely needed to be able to do something else with our milk. Um, uh, you know, as an eight-year-old, his father had been told, can't take your milk today, Mr. Quick. And, and so from that point, as an eight-year-old boy, he had decided, right, at some point we'll do something else with our milk. I mean, in the, the last picture I've got of us making cheese would be in the 1930s, people making cheese on the farm. And so, like many people, we had stopped making cheese. And then in the 60s, I remember my mother and father discussing intensively whether they should pick up this childhood dream of my father's and do something with our milk. And they actually put in for a milk marketing board um, datum that was a quota to make cheese, because that's how it was all run in those days. Mm -hmm. And it didn't come through till... Um, the early 70s, in 1972. Gosh, incredibly slow, yeah. <laughs> well, that's how things are when you have a sort of centrally planned economy, uh, a centrally planned everything. And um, by that time, my father was doing agricultural politics. You know, he was off away from the farm five and six days a week. So he just was 
not available. So they, I remember them sitting down and deciding that it would be my mother who would take this forward. And my mother, as a, as a, she, she had had an, a training as an artist. Um, you know, uh, 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 she went to the Chelsea College of Art and uh, the Royal College of Art um, before she married. And she had been told at that time that this was the training to do anything. So clearly, building and running a cheese dairy was anything. Even though at that point, her youngest child was eight years old uh, and she had six six children. So the, so six children, eight to eight. So quite busy, yes. Quite busy, quite busy. And, um, and with a very hands-on attitude to childcare as well. So, so she set about doing that and... Um, did it fantastically but the other thing that she came up with is that the people who used to the 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 dairy technology advisors were all women at that Mm. stage and there had been this long tradition of that always being women because of course originally the people who made cheese were the farmers wives and farmers daughters and the dairy maids on farms so Cheese making up to the point of mechanisation had been a completely female thing. You know, a lot of, if you look, a lot of the cheese making recipes are actually the timings are around being able to, um, you know, lots of gaps, lots of time while thing, things happen so that you've got time to go and run, you know, milk cows and run the family and, mm. you know, do all the other women things that women do all yeah so interesting yeah so 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 we came across this absolutely extraordinary lady who we knew as miss madiver to her face but we all called her katie madiver and she had been this really sort of influential person around uh britain or certainly around the cheddar world she had trained people at Cannington, but it, she also did consultancy. And she came in and advised my mum and introduced my mum to all the cheese makers and designed the cheese dairy and, um, you know, told my mum where to buy all the second-hand equipment that we, we started off with. Well, we still got her quite a lot of it, actually. Hmm. And, uh, uh, um, but, and then we were fortunate enough in 2001... Um, to have the services, to gain the services of an amazing lady called Val Bynes, who's still around, um, not so engaged in cheese now. And she was one of the last of these dairy technology advisors. And she has been instrumental in developing, up up till very recently, all of the um, artisan and specialist cheeses and even industrial cheeses around the country have relied on her to 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 you know to develop the recipes to advise to to you know so so Val Bynes is enormously she's one of those enormously influential people that kind of lots of people haven't heard of outside I was just thinking that to my shame I've never heard of her and uh, it's fascinating to hear that isn't it I mean you know there's that the knowledge that's behind scenes and the invisible work that somebody does that's so important and yet very rarely gets the sort of the light shone on it. And But they were very much being developed by the Milk Marketing Board. And of course, when the Milk Marketing Board went away in the, whenever it was in the, 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 the 90s, that uh, development of these technically 
knowledgeable, you know, they, they've, got, they've got the science, they've got the techni technical knowledge, they've also got the practical ability. Those people disappeared and we're only just beginning with the Specialist Cheesemakers Association, uh, um, uh, beginning to develop those again. And in fact, the, the hands-on trainers, one lives in Berlin and another lives in, gosh, I think he's gone to Australia. Um, right, so, gosh, not very accessible, yeah. Yeah, so, so it's a really important thing, these, these knowledgeable people. I mean, there is that knowledge base, but it's, there isn't any, you know, there isn't in quite the same way a person that you go to. I mean, I would still ring up Val Bynes, actually, and have a chat with mm. her. I, I was curious, Mary, what sort of things would you, would you, would, you know, is it like an issue? Is something going wrong and then you ring up to say, I, I don't know what the issues might be. What might they be in cheese making that you would then ask for some of this expert expertise and input? Oh, well, if the flavours aren't going quite right, you know, what's happening? Or you're holding a bit too much moisture or, oh, I don't know. We had something where the, where the um, freezing point depression of our milk looked like we were adding water but but we weren't so mm. she she kept, she worked that out for us in fact it's something that the whole industry is grappling with and i keep telling them what val said is if your cows are aren't drinking enough out in the field and they're thirsty they'll they'll come in and drink just before they're milked and then there'll be more milk in the in the, in and more water in the milk or i mean if we wanted to develop a new product we had we had somebody bless them who turned up on the farm and said they wanted us to make a prawn cheese to add add prawn cooked prawns to cheese. Uh -huh. <laughs> that was a complete nightmare. Yes. But of course we went to Val and checked, and she confirmed that that would not be a good idea. Yeah, good. <laughs> so that's isn't that interesting? I mean, you know, just hearing you describe the, the range of issues, it's the, the complexity of cheese making and all the the challenges. And um, I always get the impression I'm told that you know the French cheesemakers have a lot more resources. There's a lot more support, and you know, in terms of in the form of consultancies and training and institutes that you can go to. And in Britain, we we're really lacking that, and that is a real issue. It's a huge issue. I mean, they've got their I uh, I can't remember what their uh, institutes of dairy, I'm sure, uh, institutes of dairy management. They've got a tremendous um, background of, of state-funded information. And I mean, in the 19, uh, at the end, in the, in the 1980s, all of that disappeared. Uh, Margaret Thatcher said, well, industry can fund that kind of thing. And of course, if you're a little cheesemaker, even if you're even if you're, uh, you know, quite a big cheesemaker, um, the very biggest cheesemakers have got their own science and technology resources. Mm. And But mainly they're going to be bringing people in from Ireland or New Zealand or Denmark, you know, places where they still train. Uh, so it's, it's, it's quite, I mean, it's a big missing and it's a big missing, if you like, across all of these sectors where there is, where there's, um, you know, where, where there's science required, but it's not DNA, you know, it's not, it doesn't excite the government because it's not genetic engineering, it's not, it's not um, artificial intelligence, but it's these really, really practical things where there's cons constant requirement for people to, that are scientifically based, um, you know, and, and at the moment we, to some extent, we, you know, we stumble our way and we tend to go to the, to the people who've got things to sell us and obviously they want to sell it, sell you a machine rather mm. than saying, look, now just sit down and this is the science of it. I mean, the, the person I'm currently going to when Val's not available is a, is, is, is a chap who now lives in, 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 in Berlin, an Englishman called Paul Thomas, 
uh, and who's you know wondering whether he should give up his consultancy practice because he's so busy with his own cheese making. So, you know, uh, uh, it feels like, uh, and the Specialist Cheesemakers Association is fantastic. I mean, as run uh, the current chairman of that is is um, is Catherine Mead of Liner Dairies. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and I think that's been very helpful during the this lockdown period and when people have wanted to develop new cheeses. There are a lot of resources there, but there is this missing... I mean, uh, I, 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 you know, we need to get up, somehow get up a campaign to show the scientists, uh, who sort of practically oriented scientists, that there's this amazing world and that the scientific problems are really interesting and that um, um, you know it's a really rewarding place to come because if you take somebody straight out of university or straight out of doing a PhD, there's probably a five-year period where they have to under get to understand the technical things. I mean, in in a, in the United States, they've got a, a part of um, uh, uh, there's there's been a huge resurgence in specialist and handmade cheese and artisan cheese in the United States and that's been hugely driven by the fact that they've got dairy departments in their universities and those dairy oh. departments are getting really excited by handmade cheese you know uh, I know people yes, we do need universities. our experts after all don't we I mean it's like you know I mean, I mean a lot of those institutes those research institutes which have been shut down over the that last you know in the 20th century aren't they there was a lot of information a lot of knowledge and a lot of it was just being lost which is sort of tragic really what were these um, these women, your these dairy? What were they like to deal with? Were they were they very business? You know, I mean, I, I mean, you can't generalise, but I was just wondering. You know, were they incredibly practical? Was that? Do you remember examples of them just being totally understanding what the issue was and and being able to sort it out? Yeah, completely. I mean, well, I mean, Val was absolutely extraordinary. I mean, she well, she we were fortunate that she came and worked here for a number of years uh, for three days a week. And she could see that there were several things go, going on. One was that we that we just didn't have that underlying knowledge within the business. So she set about training everybody in the underlying science of, of, of cheesemaking and really kindly and gently taking people who knew how to make cheese but didn't know why they were doing the particular actions. And she just opened their minds. I mean, it was remarkable. I mean, the... the um, um, Miss, for instance, Miss Madiver worked with our, our uh, 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 an early uh, cheese dairy manager we had, uh, Barry Rowe, and they became really close because, you know, for people who are very, very practical and perhaps for whom education hasn't worked, you know, you need to be really quite, you know, lead them on because there's a tremendous amount of capability in these practical people and people who've got technology, te technical ability, but they may not understand the science, but you can't sort of, I mean, it, it takes that sort of gentle introduction and gentle showing people um, how it works and, and gently delivering knowledge is something that is a shared excitement rather than, mm. uh, you know, coming along like a seagull and dumping it on people's heads. <laughs> that is beautifully is how it, You're so right, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> Yeah, that's the best teaching, and, isn't it? And um, when someone and sort of mutual respect, actually, for uh, yeah, and interest, yeah, yeah, yeah just interest in the people. And, and I mean, actually, thinking about it, in America, there are some of these remarkable women. There's an amazing lady called Kathy Donnelly, who's probably the leading expert, and she's the person I would go to in the world if I had 
some really tricky microbiological problem and um, uh, uh, and she works with the University of Vermont uh, uh, you know and there's uh, actually I'm starting to go to and interestingly enough they've those are women who've come you know they're women who've been drawn into that world that's wonderful Mary thank you so much it was really fascinating to hear those the stories you know these unsung heroes or you know heroines um, of the cheese world and their really important role so we really appreciate hearing that from you thank you so much Thank you. So, uh, so excited to speak with you. Oh, it was lovely. I'm a huge fan of Peter's Yard's crackers, and they go beautifully with cheese. All Peter's Yard's crackers are made in small batches, using quality natural ingredients and their sourdough starter, slowly fermented for 16 hours for award-winning flavour and crunch. Visit petersyard.com forward slash shop, enter the code slice of cheese at the checkout to receive 25% off your first order. Online, on smart speakers, and on Listen Again, this is Food FM. Savour the crunch of Peter's Yard sourdough crackers. Available at Waitrose, Sainsbury's, Ocado, Amazon, petersyard.com, and specialist food retailers. Very happy this morning to have Sarah Appleby um, with me on the show. Applebee's are noted for their wonderful farmhouse Cheshire cheese. Cheshire cheese is one of Britain's territorial cheeses. Cheese is named after place, you know, with a very long history. Um, and I think a lot of people don't realise quite how rare farmhouse versions of these cheeses are. And the story of how this tradition has been preserved by Sarah and her husband and his family before that is a really interesting one. So, Sarah, good morning. Hi, Jenny. Thanks for having me. So, Sarah, I was really interested in, in, you know, the way that your family are keeping this wonderful heritage going. Tell me a little bit about the story, because it's, you know, you married into a family of, with a cheese-making history, didn't you? Yes, I did. And um, it's one that's absolutely fascinating. And the more that, the more time that I've been married and live uh, on the farm, obviously the, the dairy, the cows, it's all so intrinsic, but that heritage... I think as I grow old, I really feel the sense of it more and more. And I think uh, it is such a privilege. There's also um, a sense of duty, I guess, but of absolute joy of of having all that legacy that came from Lance and Lucy, my husband's grandma and grandpa. We're, we're really fortunate that they founded Applebee's in I think 1952, they moved to the farm in the 1940s. And um, as you were saying before, the it's such a matriarchal, the cheesemaking um, tradition is, is very female. And um, grandma was absolutely a, a wonderful, wonderful person. And we, we miss her dearly. But she did um, have such a root in that traditional Cheshire cheese making when I think there's so many of the the Cheshire cheese makers around here were were going out of the the business that grandma felt so so passionate about it in her really quiet way so yeah it's a really it's an interesting family history but one that I think has has become to me more and more to to me and to Paul and to our children over the years. And she, so Paul's grandmother was from a family noted, wasn't she? She wasn't the only one who was noted for cheese-making skills. Am, am I right in thinking that? Yes, the, 
Again, I think her mother was um, a cheese a cheesemaker in that sense that they milk cows and that little bit of extra milk was made into cheese. And of course, because we live in this area, that cheese was Cheshire. But Grandma and her sisters were fortunate, I suppose, in that time that they were given uh, a skill and it was really encouraged. She went to um, the local college to learn more about cheesemaking. And her sister, um, Auntie Sarah, who is still alive, and we absolutely cherish those connections she had with Grandma, um, she equally went into the dairy business as well. And Grandma's sisters, they stayed at the, the family farm, the Light Each, and they also made cheese. So it was a, a very much part of that um, family, that Wally family. Uh, and then obviously Grandma married Lance Appleby and moved here. And she had seven children. I think she'd had a couple of children before she then, they, the, the cheese dairy, which I think we are one of the last farmhouse dairies left. She renovated the um, horse stables right next to the kitchen into the dairy and that's and that's obviously where it still is is now but um yeah really interesting that that she went to college and she learned and she was always learning we've got all of her lovely make sheets and notes about um about the cheese making as as um you know she was doing it um in the 1950s and 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 onwards how interesting and so is the cheese that you're you know, you're making on the farm, you know, and in how wonderful it's still in the same dairy where she made. Is is that, the, are you making a cheese that's very similar to the one that she made using her notes? Yeah, so I think um, we've gone almost full circle, Paul and I. So we've, um, A, obviously it's still in the same building, which I think is just wonderful. There have been, there have been times where we think, oh gosh, we would love to have a new all singing, all dancing dairy Oh, but actually, would we? I I think we just love, A, it's great. So the children call it um, channel cheese. So they can um, <laughs> lift the blind and can look through, which is very similar to how um, Paul's aunts and uncles remember, because that's, you know, grandma was in the dairy and now obviously mummy's in the dairy and daddy. So um, I, I love the fact it's part of the house. But yes, so her her notes have been fascinating and her sort of approach to cheese making I think Paul and I have very similar approach that now the cows are out grazing it's all about looking at the paddock that they're in the the grasses they're eating the weather and her notes were very much based on that we've gone back to using traditional knives to cut the curd um yeah and I think the the notes although although there's detail in them the more that we I suppose want to reflect and learn from that the more that it falls into place sort of oh look actually we aren't doing anything significantly different um we are just I suppose it's quite it's quite difficult to explain. I always find with cheese making, some of it is absolutely by the book and some of it is just an absolute sense of what feels right. 
and mm. sometimes we'll look back through the books just to sort of confirm I suppose what has felt like a gut feeling and oh look grandma was doing that um <laughs> you know 30 40 50 years ago yeah so yeah it is interesting so you, you you did you meet her and see her cheese making you've got memories of her yourself yes yes luckily um Paul and I met and um, grandma was still living in the farmhouse and she was, you know, just Gary, our cheesemaker then, who retired this Christmas, who'd been with us for years. And so he'd learnt his craft from from her and that relationship was, was brilliant. And obviously she then passed it um, on to Paul, who was in the, in the dairy with her um, off and on during... Um, his childhood and so yeah she just had an absolute sense of it I think because she'd been doing it she'd lived it all of her life so she could just pop her head in through the dairy and she'd just get a sense of how that cheese was looking at the vat or perhaps you know just running her mm. finger through the the curd and I think we missed that knowledge that she had that huge amount of knowledge bearing in mind she made she would have made tons of cheese over over her life so that real Mm. sense of what she thought was right and we still joke now we we taste cheese with um meals yard sometimes and we'll say oh that's a real grandma cheese so (laughs) um yeah yeah it is it is yeah it's what it's wonderful to have had and yeah when you, when you say that, that's a real grandma cheese, what do you mean by that? Is that a particular, you know, a particular type of your Cheshire cheese then? Yes, absolutely. So one that stood up really tall. Um, and when you taste it, you get that really zesty, lemony, fresh. That's how she liked um, the, the Cheshire to be, that real, yeah, really zesty. And um, I guess um, she could tell that, the, the cows had been in, you know, such and such a paddock or, um, you know, the weather was was um, really warm. I think she liked those sort of spring spring cheeses. So, um, yeah, yeah. And some sometimes um, we talk, obviously, we love that lemony zestiness, uh, but we did at some point come away from it and went towards a, a more savoury, deeper one. Um, but I think the cheese is always going to lean us more. And I think Cheshire is is supposed to be zesty and lemony and fresh. And she, you know, as usual, that is how the, I think of it. It goes yes. full circle. <laughs> hey, well, tell us, you know, so here you are, Sarah, you know, so you're maintaining, you know, working very hard, you know, with respect for this tradition. Tell us, talk us through, because you're making cheese from your own milk. Tell us the, you know, talk us through how you're making Cheshire cheese on your farm. It's such a lovely story. Oh, um, thanks, Jenny. Yeah, we, um, so we're really blessed that we see the whole process. And I think for Paul and I, that's just fascinating. Uh, there's always so much to, um, to learn and think about and challenge us. And so we, we farm here on Whitchurch on the Cheshire Plains. Uh, the cows are out grazing. I'm looking out the window now and thankfully the sun is shining. It's been such a cold, um, April mm. and yesterday it was hailing which is just crazy so but the cows are still out they still they still absolutely trot out and um uh they're grazing the the salty Cheshire plains um and then the milk 
from that we use a bit of a morning and night milk a mix because you get the different butter fat protein ratio in both uh, that goes into the vat uh, gently 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 it's all about the milk the milk is the main ingredient and um, that goes in first thing in the morning um, and then we add so our, our ingredients are so simple um, we're adding the starter culture uh, we're adding the rennet we add a natto which gives our cheese the um, sort of golden sunset cue we sometimes make white cheshire too grandma equally made um, she made a bit of both um, but she did love making the coloured. Yeah, we seem to make mm. more coloured. It is a traditional. It's a very long history being used, isn't it, to colour cheese and Arte. So, yeah, absolutely traditional and historic. Yeah, the the yeah, the yeah colour. And we still sell white up north and coloured down south. And I love that. I love um, <laughs> I love the fact that there are those real rules and traditions in territorial cheese making, which is fascinating. But... Um, yeah, and then the process takes all day and they go on to the really, um, we've got cheese presses that are from the turn of the century, which is, um, yeah, beautiful things to have, but they're equally, um, they're not press a button. In fact, none of it's press a button, which I love. <laughs> Everything sort of, how does it feel? Does this feel different? Is this, yeah, how tight should I wind the presses tonight? Because it's obviously feeling a little bit more so springy. This, so this or, curds have been... You've moulded the curds. Aren't they? Exactly. We like to keep the Cheshire that's juicy and succulent, but it should the moisture should be in that curd rather than loose in the cheese, mm. if that makes sense. You're looking for that lovely, lovely juiciness. But, um, yeah, the crumble as well. I love the Cheshire crumble. It is a lovely cheese. And how long... So what happens after it's been pressed and moulded? Is, is there Presumably then there's a maturing time for it. Yeah, so once they come out of the presses, they have a little turn on one side and then the other, and then they come out um, half six in the morning the following day, and they get um, wrapped in the calico cloth, which again is really tr traditional, and that's that's to allow the cheese to breathe through the cloth, much I think much like a wine with the, with the casks that when they then get taken round to the storeroom, which their old parlour, um, we've got two storerooms, one a little bit lower that's a bit more like a cave, and then one that's a little bit um, little bit drier for, for when they're a bit older. Um, and the, the cheese grows this amazing whiskery mould as the sort of flora and fauna of, of here, the provenance we talk about, don't we, that that's such a... Um, that's such an, again, a really fascinating part of it because you put them down there in the storeroom and they continue to their sort of taste journey, which um, I really love. I really love the fact that each one is like that little time capsule. And when you peel back the calico and put the, the cheese iron in and take a, a chunk, no slithers of Cheshire, you need a proper chunk, um, mm -hmm. that bite, that that sense of, that sense of here and our legacies, which obviously is grandma and grandpa and the the provenance of being here and, and you know, use, using the same dairy in the same way that they did. I think it is really something that is cherishable, if that's such a word, but it's something that 
is so rooted in here that um yeah i think sometimes it just catches catches us paul and i that sort of real visceral reaction to eating something that we have had such a influence on and paul's family is is yeah it is pretty amazing well it's a wonderful story of connection isn't it it's connection to the land in a in a very meaningful way and connection to history and tradition and cheshire cheese you know was the you know nowadays people think of cheddar but cheshire cheese was the sort of best-selling british cheese and the you know the english navy used took it on board and they bought it in huge quantities and it was a incredibly sort of known cheese and and it is a, you know it is a beautiful cheese I and mean, i say you know you describe that the, i am I love that sort of lemony. I think I'm probably <laughs> with Paul's grandmother in that sense that I love that sort of lemony freshness of of a Cheshire and that sort of brightness to it. Um, well, so thank you, Sarah, so much for sharing you know your memories and that this story, which is a you know very special. I mean, you know, food traditions are are precious and they say fragile actually. And yeah, and the you know British cheese has got this wonderful history and it's lovely that you're. You know, it's all the work to make cheese. So it's wonderful that you're carrying on and, and also getting such pleasure. You know, pleasure comes across in your voice, I think, when you talk about it. So thank you very much for coming on the programme, Sarah. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we've, we are really passionate. We really love what we do. <laughs> That's very clear. Online, on smart speakers and on Listen Again, this is Food FM. Savour the crunch of Peter's Yard sourdough crackers. Available at Waitrose, Sainsbury's, Ocado, Amazon, petersyard.com and specialist food retailers. I'm really happy to have Julie Cheney of St Jude Cheese, maker of St Jude Cheese, on the show with me today. Very happy because St Jude is a cheese I'm very fond of, Julie. So um, good morning. Thank you very much. Good morning to you too. Julie, I wanted to ask you, this programme is about uh, women in cheese. How, what made you take up cheese making? How did that begin? Um, it was, uh, I was married to a farmer at, at the time in Hampshire, and it was a way of um, having a little business on the side whilst the children were young and just beginning to go to school. So uh, it, it all sort of fitted in, really. It fitted in with the regime of, of ch- having children about in a farmhouse. That's interesting. And what, did you choose, did you come from a point of view, did you know about cheesemaking or did you just sort of think, oh, this will be, let's have a go at this? No, well, the, the, I think the paramount thing, when you start choosing what cheese to make, if you're in that, in that um, luxury, luxury of, of asking that, is what's missing on everybody else's counter. So you want to make something that's different, don't you? I, and uh, Stacy and I were certainly not strong enough to make a cheddar, so that's why we chose a Camembert-style cheese, to, and we started making Tunworth. So that right. was very the very embryonic beginnings of of me learning about cheese making. That's it. So a small cheese that could be handled, and it's so and the what the pattern of making you talked about childcare and fitting in with you know uh, of the cheese making fitting with the childcare so that the pattern of making that sort of cheese work did it yes it did and we were most fortunate to have uh Niels Yard Dairy um amongst our mentors and they put us in touch with an amazing French cheese consultant called Ivan Lacha who would come down to our farm and say okay so what, what's your routine? How do you want to make this cheese? And, and we can fit things in and around it, and, which is historically how 
farmers' wives and cheese making came about, really, isn't it? Um, mm-hmm. And that is more so now with my lactic style cheese, St. Jude, because that really is a long, slow, gentle make. So between me adding the cultures to start the acidification of the milk and actually ladling the curds, the set curds, it's about 22 hours. So it's bursts of work in between waiting for acidification. Um, so it has spells when you can go away and do something else, in my case, bookwork or something like that, or when I was younger, rearing children. Mm, that's so interesting, isn't it? Now, but you use that phrase lactic cheese. Could you just explain what you mean by that? So when we make a lactic cheese, it's, it really is a long, slow, gentle um, process, very, very gentle, very, very slow. And so you add the the starter culture to start the acidification and you wait a while and you keep monitoring it. And when it's right, you add the rennet to curdle it, to coagulate it, and then you leave it some more. And when the next acidification um, parameter, you hit that, then you ladle the curd. So it is a very slow process with a tiny bit of rennet and you're relying really upon a gentle acidification or fermentation of, of the milk and or of the set curd, whereas something like a, a brie or a cheddar, it's quite a fast make. So when making a brie between adding the cultures and actually ladling the curd, could be five or six hours. Um, you're all done and dusted by lunchtime. So it's quite a different story. That's really interesting, isn't it? Because, in fact, you are working, um, you know, you're using milk from Johnny Crickmore's herd, aren't you? You're based on Fen Farm Dairy or using milk yeah. from... Yes. And and Johnny is making, um, you talked about a brie, he's making Baron by God, which is a sort of British brie in a way. Um, and yeah, so interesting. So you've got that contrast between the two different patterns of, of making then, right, you know, right before exactly. you. Yes, you're quite right. Set the same milk, but uh, two different methods and two different cheeses. But both you could both say that they're both soft cheeses. Yeah, I mean, this is one of the joy of cheese and the absolute diversity and range of it. It's, it always astonishes me. I mean, it's such a cliche to say that, but it's so true. You can't help but keep saying it in a way. Um, and what, so what led you? So this passed from how long ago was it when you first started making the Tunworth then? I think it was 2005 we started selling it at Reading Farmers Market. So right. it was a little while ago now. And I started St. Jude 2012. Lovely. Um, and so St. Jude, did you have, again, a thought of what you wanted to make? Was it to do with working patterns or was it a style of cheese that you liked or did you feel there'd be a demand for it, you know, a very practical point of view? You want to be able to sell it, don't you? Yes, you're quite right. And, and once again, it was there isn't anything else on the counter like it in Britain. And I, I'm not sure you might know better than I, but I still don't think there is a, a lactic cow's milk originally mm. based on a saint Marcelin style of cheese, which even in France, was was goat milk, but is now cow milk, invariably. Um, and so that was another little cheese that I could start growing my new business in a small way. So I started off with 170 litre that. Uh, my first sale was to Niels Dairy for 50 St. Jude cheese. Gosh, not um, much, is it? Yes. <laughs> it's incredible now when I look back on it. So, mm. yes, with something like a lactic cheese, um, it's fortunate because I can, as I grow, I just buy more equipment. I don't have to say that I'm going to buy a 
5,000 litre vat to make cheddar or anything like that. I'm not committed as such. I can do it gradually and grow organically, wow. which is what I like to do. Yeah, lovely. I mean, so so compared to when you first started, what, what, what sort of production is it now then? I suppose I make about 1,500 a week now. Gosh, okay. Well, so, you know, up, up from that yes. first. Yes. yes, yes. Well done. I mean, it is a lovely cheese. And tell us a little bit about it and describe it to us then. Well, St. Jude is just one of four cheeses that we make now. Um, and initially, when I started making St. Jude, Ivan said, oh, well, of course, you can you can wash it. You can make a washed rind, which we do. It's called St. Sarah. Or mm. you can use the curd to make something. It's like um, uh, like a really small cheese, Rockmador. But uh-huh. I think that isn't for the English palate. So we just do a, a straightforward curd cheese for restaurants, which is mm-hmm. very flexible, can be baked with or stuffed in pasta, et cetera, et cetera. But the St. Jude is my first and my first love. And... So it's a small, wrinkly rind, geotrichum rind, um, lactic cheese, weighing about 100 grams in a little wooden box. And one can consume it all on one's own if you want to. All in one go, I was about to say, in a greedy way from experience. So that's what you talked about. I mean, the quality of the rind, and you mentioned geotrichum. Explain to us about that, because that is... I'm, I'm very fond of cheeses that have geotrichum on the rind. So tell us about what geotrichum is. Yeah. It's a very uh, critical mould for me to looking after St. Jude. I like to have the environment correct to grow the geotrichum as soon as possible. As soon as you've started, you've ladled the curd and the curd is now looking like a, a little disc-shaped cheese, um, the environment should be right to draw, to grow geotrichum. And that will be a little furry coat. Um, and it can be all sorts of colours. When you can go, you can go geotrichum shopping, it's, do you want it <laughs> ivory, cream, white, long, short, tufted? It's incredible the varieties of geotrichum you can get, actually. So, yes, growing that geotrichum makes a protective coat around my cheese and stops things growing that shouldn't be growing. Um, we do have, and it's in the air, it's everywhere, um, occasionally a blue mould that implants in the cheese. And that's usually when the geotrichum hasn't covered the cheese correctly. And there's a gap for the blue to get in, mm. which is just a subspecies of penicillium. Uh, there's nothing, it can be easily eaten, but it's not so attractive to the customer's eye. They yeah. expect they don't expect to see that. Whereas, um, I think it's yeah. that hearing you talk, and obviously, you know, this whole point that actually cheeses are sort of living, you know, you're working with bacteria, you're working with moulds, it's, you know, yeah. this process is happening, and they're not, you know, they're not in, they're not controlled. I mean, you're, yeah, the, the environment is there interacting, isn't it, which is what creates wonderful flavours and interests. And and that's sort of fascinating. Isn't it? I think, you know, we're so used to, you know, we so often buy our food packaged, wrapped up, have no sense of the life behind it in a funny sort of way. You're um, quite right, yes. And the, the, one of the most important things I try and get through to people is that cheese is alive. Mm. It's a living thing and it's going to change. It's going to mature. It's not going to taste or look or feel the same next week as it does this week. And a great example is that is between my two cheeses, St. Jude and St. Sarah, in that when St. Jude is about 10 days to 14 days 
old, we pop it in a wooden box and we wash the top surface, the rind, in a, a really weak brine solution. This changes the environment and it slowly becomes a washed rind cheese. Mm. So if you visualised a, a horse race with St. Jude, the geotrypum is winning, is right out in front. You know, it's three furlongs out in front. But geotrichum doesn't like salt. So we start washing it in a brine, it pulls up and the other moulds and bacteria run past it. So St. Sarah is a different colour, a different texture and a different taste. It's Everything was there in St. Jude to start with. We've just changed the environment and encouraged and hindered different parts of that recipe. And so it's, it's just an amazing thing. It actually shows you what a, a cheese is a living being and you can steer it into something else. That's a wonderful description. I love that image of the race course. And you're absolutely right, because I've tried both cheeses and it's sort of fascinating that, you know, that oh, this is St. Sarah, which is very different from a St. Jude, but, you know, because of what you've done, you know, you've made difference and created a different cheese from, from the same starting point. It's sort of fascinating, actually. Um, yes. And what's your, what's your new, what's new cheese now, haven't you? St. Helena, which I've not tried yet. Tell me about that. Yes, so uh, Blake, who came and worked, started working with me, oh, it must be about three years ago now, Jenny, um, turned up on my doorstep. He is a chef and had got had enough of chef hours and decided mm. he'd really like to get into cheesemaking. And uh, so he came, came along and my, the stars were aligned and he turned up on my doorstep and said, oh, and I would like to make cheese as well. So mm. we sat down and thought, well, what did he want to make? What is not there on that on the cheese counter? And what started off as a San Nectaire style has morphed into a sort of a washed rind, but still encouraging the yeasts to grow. So it's got a really interesting rind on it. So I'd say I never know whether it's, you say it's semi-hard or semi-soft. Anyway, it's, <laughs> it's a, I go either way. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> not so squidgy as a telegio, but along those lines, it's a round dip again about a kilo size and mm. uh, great to eat as a cheese and brilliant to cook with. So with quite a supple texture then to the paste. Yes, it's a, yes, there's a give in that rind. It's not mm. it's not a firm tom or anything like that. Okay. It, it's really interesting to use that same milk again and change it into something else. It's just phenomenal. Now you mentioned milk and I actually wanted to ask you about that. So you're you're using raw milk and is that something um, you know, is that something very precious to you that you are using raw milk? Do you think that's important? Yes, yeah. yes you're, you're quite right. And uh, when I was involved with Tunworth, it was made from raw milk. Um, and I really do feel that you can find the right farmer to give you beautiful raw milk to bring more flavours to your cheese. Um, and so it, it is a struggle to find somebody on the on the same page as you, but I heard Johnny speaking on Radio 4 uh, mm. one time on the farming programme, and so I hooked up with him and he said I could move up here to Suffolk and use his milk and rent space in his cheese room. And so uh, I've been here seven years now, and uh, it's just the great... Great milk. I mean, that's why I'm here, quality milk. And behind the story of good milk is good animal wealth, welfare and good mm -hmm. soil welfare because our cheeses all start with what the cows eat. Um, and 95% of what the cows eat at Fen Farm is grown there. Uh, Johnny just buys in a little bit. So mm. it's quite um, a little world of its own almost, yes. 
that same, I mean, it's so right, isn't it? The, the work, you know, you have the cheese, but of course, you know, but you have the milk to make the cheese and then to have, in order to have the milk, you, know, you have the cows and the land and what they're feeding. That's such an important part. And I do you get the impression a lot of cheesemakers are really exploring pasture and, and the, um, you know, in, with a lot of interest now, there seems to be a lot of uh, a movement to try and sort of make the pasture as good as it can be in order to get the milk as good as it can be. I mean, it's fascinating, isn't it? But Yes, yes, it's, you're absolutely more right. More and more, our site is focused on on the detail, on this detail of, of the cows and their fodder mm. and the cows and their genetics. That, I mean, there are so many variables when it comes to cheese making. It's phenomenal. But, you know, you sound as fascinated and engaged by it, you know, all these years you've been doing this. Well, the more, the more you know, the more you realise you don't know. That's the frightening part. I mean, <laughs> there is something about ignorance is bliss when we first started and you think, oh, gosh, I just sort of jumped into this thinking I could do anything anyone asked me. And, and now it's just it is a really interesting every day is different. Um, and following yes. the cows I'll, through the seasons uh, of what they're eating. And Johnny's changing the breeding a little bit. Uh-huh. So he, he's got two groups of milkers. One is the autumn carvers, the larger group and the smaller group he's bringing in a bit more jersey to them because they'll be the first ones to walk out after being in the barns all winter. So he wants a lighter cow with tough feet Mm. that will go out on his water meadows because we are, if you can say that Suffolk has valleys, we are in the Waveney Valley. So we are on floodplains. And so it does uh, quite a lot, especially this winter, a lot of the time it's underwater. So Mm. you've got to be for when the cows go out and how the, the, the lays are looked after. What, because they could just compact the... Yes, it too much. Poach, right. poach it all up, you know, four pointy hooves with on yeah. Yeah, a big cow. It doesn't take long to make lots of little holes in your beautiful grass and make right. it all muddy. The cows won't eat dirty grass, understandably, I wouldn't. And so, <laughs> yes, it is, um, you're in the laps of the gods. So, for instance, we thought we were so excited when the cows went out and then the weather went cold here. I know. And they came back in again. <laughs> and now yeah. they're out. <laughs> it was lots so, of lovely photos and Insta of cows galloping really happy. You know, it's, it's all yeah. a joyful sight, isn't it, when they're let out and they're rushing this grass. And of course, what you want is that lovely spring rush of grass, except the weather's been so cold. Uh, everyone is saying, you know, it's just it's crazy. So, so growing. Yeah, it's mad, isn't it? Just yeah, another part of that, um, this constant battle then with all these elements to keep you uh, keep you on your toes, Julie. So, well, but, uh, well, me, but mainly the, the farmer producing the milk because he's only got a finite amount of straw to mm. keep the cows bedded up nice and clean and tidy. And yes, it gets more expensive buying in more feed. So it is quite tense, <laughs> that spring yeah. turn time. I bet. So thinking back to that decision, you know, made in a way as, as sort of like a little side project, perhaps it sounded like, you know, like you were going to make you some money and, and be a thing to try. Do you do you think that was, thinking back on that, are you happy you made that that decision? Oh, yes, yes. It was never going to be a hobby. We were there. No, no, no. We had to contribute to the household income. So it was never just... Um, you know, sell a few cheeses at the odd weekend farmer's market or anything like that. But farmer's markets have been brilliant for you get instant feedback from your customer at farmer's market. They have been really important in in me growing my cheeses and uh, the business and getting 
ideas of what people are, are leaning towards and what they like and what they don't like. And have you seen that change? Do you think people are more open-minded and interested in trying different cheeses over the time you've been selling them? Um, I think they are. Uh, I think, generally speaking, that the British are still have got their mind on just a, a select few, a handful. But I think there are so many, it's an amazing industry, the cheesemaking industry. There are so many more different ones coming through. People have just got to try them, haven't they? I mean, you think of the average age of a farmer compared to the average age of a cheesemaker. It's the cheesemaking industry is a really young, vibrant industry. It's exciting, isn't it? I must mm. be one of the oldest there. Yet put me amongst the farmers, I'm one of the youngest. So actually cheese making and under that huge umbrella of artisanal foods and drinks, it is a a lot more younger people starting their own companies, don't you think? It's very exciting. Absolutely. I mean, it's one of the things in my writing career, because I mean, it was so long now. I've seen so many businesses start up. I mean, it's lovely, you know, seeing this new energy and creativity and... uh, Wonderful. Well, I thoroughly enjoy your cheese. So thank you for for making it, Julian. Thank you so much for coming on the programme today. We really appreciate your your time and lovely to hear your story. Thank you. Thank thank you, Jenny. Thank you for asking me. I much appreciate it. To find out more about Food FM and our content, go to foodfmradio.com. Very lovely to have with me Tracy Colley, Director of the Academy of Cheese. Tracy, hello. Hello, Jenny. How are you? I'm very good. You know, I'm loving talking about cheese, as you can imagine. So it's like dream job, basically. So, Tracy, tell me a little about your your own interest in cheese. Because how how did you get started? You know, was there sort of did you have a sort of a moment where you sort of fell in love with cheese as a food? Yeah, it um, came about. I did work as a student in a cottage cheese factory um, way back when I was, uh, you know. university to earn a buck but moving forward from there I set up my own delicatessen in Ludlow um, in Shropshire. Ludlow at the time had three Michelin starred restaurants for a very small market town and it was absolutely fabulous so we um, sold over a hundred cheeses and I kind of learnt very fast on my feet all about cheese and cheese making Um, and that was 19 years ago to to the this month in may so um i've been in cheese a long time and it's a wonderful food. i mean it's a food you can fall in love with obviously isn't it it's such a, it's such an interesting food i think it is and i think what really appealed to me was the the passion of the makers the cheese makers i was actually had a have a degree in textiles and um that whole uh creating something from wool from a sheep um from cotton creating something from uh very simple uh fabrics into something absolutely awesome which is very similar with cheese you know it's made with simple ingredients starts with milk and is turns into this absolutely fabulous food stuff yeah that i can see that is that's a lovely way of putting it from your so the deli in Ludlow, which must have been a fascinating time, you know, Ludlow was the so sort of inspiring, really, wasn't it? And and then what? What? How, where did your cheese journey take you next? Yeah, well, we won lots and lots of awards there, and um, we. I then worked. Um, I, it was in a partnership with a friend, and we um, came to the end of our time together. And um, I moved on to Harvey and Brockless, who were one of the biggest 
um, fine food distributors in the UK who had couple of thousand cheeses on their books so I was learning even more um, more from the commercial side because they supplied events and airlines and Michelin starred chefs to big hotel chains so it was a really fascinating time for me to learn more from that side of the industry and I was there in sales I looked after Harrods Whole Foods um, Selfridges worked with all the buyers there to create ranges for each of those and um, I also uh, was their marketing manager so we did events uh, meet the maker events where we got all the makers together to talk to the our, our customers so really exciting time yeah it sounds I mean massive logistics and yeah real insight to a whole different side of the cheese world there fascinating most and certainly <laughs> so today you're talking to us in your capacity as you know director of the academy of cheese so what what is the academy of cheese and, and tell us how so how did that be this is a relatively new organization what tell us the story of that it is so when i was um working at harvey and brockless i was I've, i'd often mary quick is one of my great friends and often talked to her and uh, one day she'd come back from America and seen the Certified Cheese Professional certification over there, which is specifically for cheesemongers, so people selling cheese in the States. And she'd seen what an amazing effect that had done to drive cheese sales and for people to really be educated and know more about cheese. Um, so she said to me, Tracy, how can we make this happen in the UK? So we talked to John Farrand at the Guild of Fine Food, but her and I worked together. She gathered together all her contacts that she knew back in 2013. And we put it to the industry if they felt, the cheese industry and the dairy industry in the UK, if they felt this was something that was needed they said very very much so um, we wanted to promote cheese knowledge we wanted something for professional development so people could actually say you know when you, you say oh what do you do oh i work in cheese in in the cheese industry they, they saw that it was a real job and also to inspire the next generation so uh, we gathered everybody together and there were seven of us set up the Academy of Cheese as volunteers. It's a not-for-profit organisation. And we started to put together the courses. We had Ros from um, the managing director at the time from Paxton and Whitfield. And she's got a training and education background pre-Paxton and Whitfield. So she was, you know, key in creating the programmes that we've developed Um to educate people all about cheese because there is something new to learn every day yeah. as I'm sure you know it. Jenny I, mean, I you've, do you've, you've, written, <laughs> you've written books about cheese and um, you know it's just extensive how you even start to put it together in one book is 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 a is a task in itself isn't it yeah I mean it is so interesting isn't it because I think that's you know I am a food writer, not a cheese writer, but I do really love, if I had to, you know, arms on my back, someone made me choose a favourite food, it would be cheese. And I think it is. Oh, it's, fantastic. <laughs> it's because it's so interesting. I just find, you know, I find cheese itself so interesting and delicious. Of You know, I love love eating cheese. I love different types of cheese. But, but I also find, uh, you know, in, the, in Britain, the people who work in it are so... 
I've always been really drawn towards them because I found them sort of friendly and interested and enthusiastic and and really, you know, like a pleasure to talk to. <laughs> so which, if you're interviewing people for a job, which is what I do, then that is a sort of joy, you know. Yeah, there's so much passion in the industry. And I think there has to be because um, it's such a long process making cheese and you it's a science. So we often talk about it being um, there's there's science there's food hygiene there's rules and regulations to abide to but there's this massive romance to it as well mm. where you, um there's two sides and the romantic side is is the you know the tastes the flavors the pairing the pairing it with wines with other foodstuffs and we learn both at the academy so basically in by 2017 we launched the first courses so there's four four um levels of course level one and level two um are both current and in operation we've trained now since those launch and the courses began in july 2017 we've now trained over 2200 students um, there is an exam to take and we have at level one we have I've just looked this morning, checked the figures. We've got 968 level one alumni. Mm. And at level two, um, which is a bit more lengthy, it's quite intense. Um, we learn all about cheese making. We learn about affinage, maturing. We learn about um, transport and the chill chain and distribution. We learn about tasting. Um, and most importantly, Jenny, at level one, you taste 25 cheeses and learn about all about them at level two you learn another 75 cheeses wow so lots and lots of tasting which is the really lovely bit and the romantic bit, bit as well um, um yeah well that is interesting isn't it so actually that sort of increased knowledge has got a very direct you know which which is an admirable goal in its own right but then the gain for the world of of cheese what is that more, what more more cheese has been sold then basically Yes. And um, so what we're trying to the inspiration is to sell cheese for its value, not at value prices. So it, the more we can educate people about the process of cheese, what it is, how long it takes to make and why it's that price. Um, not that it, it's an expensive food stuff, to be honest with you. Um, mm. It's, you know, and teaching people that they don't have to buy massive amounts of it and consume massive amounts of it to get pleasure from it. If you choose well and, um, you know, know how to select your cheese, know how to taste it and appreciate it, almost mindful tasting, mindful eating, then mm. you can get so much out of it and you don't need heaps and heaps of it. Well, it's an interesting difference, isn't it, that actually the, the craft versions of, you know, if you think of a supermarket cheddar, which by nature, you know, is you know, is sort of on the blandish side. You know, it's a very pleasant, amenable cheese, but it's, it's not a cheese. It's a practical cheese, cheese I yeah. think, isn't it? It's exactly. practical. Lots of people use it for grating, for sandwiches. Yeah. And, and Yeah. Yeah. But then, but, then if, but then if you eat a little piece of it off a farmhouse cheddar, you know, made by one of the cheddar makers, like Mary Quick or made by Jamie Montgomery or made by Westcombe, you know, and the amount of flavour in that piece of cheese is quite astonishing. 
And actually, right, it's, it, I find this, I've done a lot of writing about chocolate as well, and it's the same thing, that actually craft chocolate delivers so much flavour. That actually, you really, actually, not only, you don't want to eat lots of it, because a little bit of it just gives you a huge amount of flavour, and you don't need lots of it. So That's it's right. Price, exactly. you know, yeah. Which is sort of what exactly. your, your point, isn't it? Yeah. Exactly. And in that little piece of cheese, you once you have that knowledge, you are, you know, you're um, you're transported to that place, to that farm, to that to, to those animals, um, to that countryside, wherever it is, you know, you're transported by those flavours. And it's it's fascinating. It is just so much to learn. Yeah, it's the best. I mean, and it's the interesting thing, isn't it, that actually if you can inspire people with your love. So it must be quite inspiring for you that the Academy Cheese is finding an audience. I was going to say, presumably, you went online, given that in the pandemic, has that been, has there been a growth in on, online teaching for, for the Academy of Cheese? Yeah, so um, we've always, from the beginning, wanted to be 21st century um, educational programme. So we had e-learning so which is a self-study course so you um, learn through a learning road you use the cheese library and that's all online and we've always had that from the beginning and we felt that it, there was a need for that that self-study courses are then um, you can do classroom courses they obviously stopped happening so they were physical courses in classrooms around the UK um, they stopped and once everybody had started to find their feet, um, we had some of our training partners started training virtually. So using Zoom, using Teams, um, which was absolutely amazing. And by doing that, in fact, it has opened up the market for our courses. I mean, it's really interesting that the way that obviously, you know, we had to go on Zoom because of the pandemic and... And actually, that does allow you to do things with people, you know, around the world, doesn't it? It does really open up its a whole audience, isn't it? Which which yeah. was very exciting for you, Tracy. So it is. It's amazing. Yeah. It's really, really expanded the reach of the Academy of Cheese. We've got lots and lots of interest from other countries. People wanting to train our program, so they see this as a really fantastic British product, and they want to train our educational program to so you know to cheesemongers to wholesalers in those countries so we've got people in Canada in Australia in China we're already set up um, in Cayman Islands to train across the the Caribbean islands just amazing we've got a training partner in India training the courses to people out there it's um, the it, you know it's very very exciting times Wonderful. And that's, you know, and, I, and your, you know, your own love of cheese, Tracy, your, your own personal sort of fascination with it always comes across. And so it must be very, very rewarding for you, this whole, you know, to be doing something like this, which is, which is sharing cheese knowledge, you know, making it open up this very fascinating world of cheese in a very sort of clear and accessible way. It, that must be a sort of dream job in a way for you. It is. And I think what I the, the thing I really love about it, Jenny, is bringing I, we want to bring new people into the industry and we want them to, you know, I've been in this industry for 19 years and I've stayed in it because I absolutely love it. And I love the people in it. I love the passion. Um, and we want to bring new young people into it. And by having this 
certification program i think it gives them something concrete to aim at as well and it's yeah, not it's a structure, just isn't it? Yeah. it is it's a structure and it's not just oh i've got I, I work in cheese it's actually oh i'm an academy of cheese alumni i've done my level one i've done my level two i'm aspiring to get to master of cheese and my passion would be to bring more young people in the next generation which we are you know you could see from our event that we just held last weekend the british cheese weekender um you can see there's so many of those presenters this year were young people that are working in the industry and just absolutely rocking it. They love it and they love um, cheese. <laughs> oh, yeah, which is fantastic. Love Tracy, thank you so much. That was a real, you know, lovely to hear the story of the Academy of Cheese and, and carry on the good work. It's fantastic. No, thank you for having me, Jenny. To find out more about Food FM and our content, go to foodfmradio.com. Very happy to have Hero Hirsch with me, Head of Retail for Paxton and Whitfield, someone I've known for, for some time now, Hero. Good morning. Good morning. Hero, I was really interested. This programme is looking at women in cheese. Um, we're talking to cheesemakers. But I'm also, for me, as someone who enjoys shopping for food, I do love a good cheese shop. And obviously, mm-hmm. you know, actually selling cheese is a really important part of that. You know, as a, as a punter, for me, that's how I'm going to get to taste the cheeses. So I sort of love a good cheese shop. And you're obviously working at a very famous and wonderful cheese shop. How, what, what gave you your, your interest in cheese initially? Um, gosh, I've been interested in cheese my entire life, I think. Um, I think the thing that really kind of drew me in is not just the fact it's delicious. That was probably the first thing that drew me in as a hungry child. Um, but that it's so varied as well. You have this incredible spectrum of cheeses. And so it's it just seemed like a whole fascinating world that I guess I didn't really understand at first. Sort of, you know, I didn't have that much clue about how it was made or why each cheese was different. And it took me it took me to quite a bit later in life before I before I did start to really kind of explore it, I suppose. What 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 gave the insight that there was this interesting world of cheese to be explored then? It was a piece of mimolette, actually. Um, that I probably had so I was at catering college, um in my sort of late teens, and they don't really teach you anything about cheese necessarily in catering college. They have this incredible program where they teach you how to cook every type of food there is and desserts and bread. They teach you about wine, but there was never really any kind of education about cheese. It was like uh, the cheese course was sort of, and then you call your cheese supplier and the cheese arrives and you chop it up (laughs) and put it out. And so it didn't really feel in kind of a, a food education that it was getting necessarily the attention it deserved. So at that point, I uh, went and sought out a, a Saturday job in a cheese shop. So I would be Monday to Friday at college cooking and then Saturday just um, dealing with cheese and selling cheese to people. But yeah, it was a mimolette, I think, that I had at college that just made me realise that cheese can be really complex. You know, I'd had some good cheeses before, but it was definitely this this particular piece of mimolette where it has a whole journey of flavours moving from sort of sweet to savoury um, and and lingering, I guess, that made me just mm. realise that cheese can be really complex and wonderful. Fascinating, isn't it? I mean, yes, I mean, nothing like the power of good food to, to hook yeah. you in, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. And so then you obviously, you went, you went to work for Paxton then, so you became interested in cheese and then, what, and then you went, decided to, what, to 
to sort of work with with a cheesemonger follow up from that so Saturday my job? Yeah. After, after the Saturday job uh, which was not at Paxton's actually it was a place near my catering college in uh, in Pimlico mm-hmm. and after that I became a pastry chef so I left catering college with my qualification and I spent five years in kitchens running dessert sections which quite often in some of them would be the place where the cheese was purchased so I spent a lot of time buying cheese from very very good suppliers which is the best way that you can explore the world of cheese is to to buy it for somebody else and just have a nibble of everything that you try (laughs) um so I I did that for quite a long time and when I moved on from chefing cheese seemed like the natural choice um for me just because I'd spent so long working with it and just wanted you know passionately to, to to understand more about it and so that took you to Paxton's then so. That took me to Paxton's exactly. Yeah, right. And so, what was your what was your first job at Paxton's? Uh, I was a sales assistant on the counter, but within just a couple of months at Paxton's on the counter, sort of realised that working directly with the producers was a a really really satisfying way to to learn more about cheese. But yeah, cer- certainly the British producers, because we always worked directly with the producer at Paxton's and getting that context and learning the story is such an important part I think of of how you sell the cheese because then you have this wonderful point of interaction with the customer where you can communicate that story and the passion of the producers to them. I mean they are you know and cheese makers are gloriously obsessive because they have to be to to do what they do you know and there is something very infectious you know it's one of the pleasures of my job is that I get to meet wonderful food producers and and it is, you become really sort of involved, don't you, and engage with them. Can, can you remember some of the Definitely. people you met early on who, who sort of inspired you or you found fascinating to, to, to hear, you know, to talk to you? I think, gosh, it's going back a while. I've been at Paxton's for 12 <laughs> years now. So the earliest, I think probably the first um, cheesemaker I went out to visit was uh, Stacey Hedges, who, um, who was at Hampshire, che- Hampshire Cheeses, uh, who makes the, uh, who makes Tunworth which was a relative newbie, I suppose, at the time. And, you know, has become a real kind of British classic, I suppose, like a modern British classic mm. of the cheese board now. Um, and that for me really put into context, well, first of all, how, how it's actually made, because you can learn about cheese making uh, on paper fairly easily, but understanding and seeing the process was a really, really key step for me. Mm. Um, and yeah, she she makes she makes an incredible cheese, and it looks inc- such hard work making cheese. I, I'm not sure that I would have the constitution or the minerals to to go into cheese making. That kind of the repetition, some of it, you know, very very labour intensive, but also the the variables as well. The sleepless nights as you kind of wait to check that everything is worked out perfectly and consistently or the heartbreak if it doesn't um so certainly that kind of determination that she that she shows and and the quality of the product she made was really really inspiring to me so this side you know because what you've worked with cheese so closely cheeses for for all these years and yet obviously you know it's still fascinating so it's one of the fascinations for you that you know even buying a cheese that you know presumably it does vary from batch to batch and from the time of, of year that it's made all those variables exactly those variables that you just mentioned is that something that always keeps the job interesting for you definitely certainly batch variation seasonal variation is yeah really 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 interesting um but also just how 
how those variables come about. And the more that I learn about cheese, the less I feel I understand about it sometimes. It's quite wide. It's so wide and so (laughs) you can just sort of rabbit hole into really deep understanding of, of the, you know, the microbes, I suppose. Um, but also on, on the flip side, you have this kind of uh, culture and h- historical significance that, that's attached to a lot of cheeses as well. And so it has mm. this kind of all over level of detail and, um, and history, which I think is, is probably what keeps me fascinated by it. And you, I've seen you do presentations, you do, you know, you're a very good communicator about cheese here because I think you you know you do a lot of storytelling I suppose about cheese and instruction and workshop and, and presumably you do that with your staff as well as with with customers or with the media is is that a bit of your job that you enjoy yeah definitely certainly training staff and uh getting them to to communicate and pass on that information to customers that's that's a really important part of the retail experience at Paxton's for me so as as that's my responsibility, making sure that people are, you know, telling telling these stories and communicating them properly is is really important. Keenly awaiting the point when we can fling the doors open and open up the whole counter and have 150 again. Yeah, I mean it's been constrained times, but I think a lot of people have sort of discovered the joys of cheese through pandemic by ordering online. Definitely, I mean the certainly the shape the shape of our business and the way that it worked last year went through a considerable shift. Um, and online was a very, you know, important part of that. It, in some ways, started to had some effect on the way that we bought product as well at the very beginning, when we examined, you know, who, who, which British cheesemakers are being supported um, by other cheesemongers, and which who have we been working with for a long time, and how are we going to get as many British cheesemakers, you know, over the line, as it were, and making cheese into 2021 and kind of maintain the the diversity of, of British cheeses by supporting those those small producers. Yeah, I mean, it was a massive sort of, you know, a very, um, I think the cheese world really came together, you know, cheesemongers all over the country rallied, didn't they, to support? Definitely. It's, and it, that's something that I love about cheesemakers, cheesemongers, and that the, just the industry as a whole is how collaborative and cooperative so many people are in sort of sharing their knowledge or, you know, checking in on everyone and making sure that everyone's getting through this okay. Yeah, I, that's always struck me, actually. It's funny because I've um, done a lot of writing about cheese over the years and I think one of the, and I've become more and more fascinated by it. And I, and one thing I've always really liked is the people I've met have been so likeable on the whole. You know? Yes, oh, and one, the loveliest and people. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think it's this interesting, it is a sort of shared love of cheese. And when you've got that, that cheese bug and you think you've sort of realised what an, what an interesting, complex and delicious food it is, and it's sort of fun, you know, then you can have these hilariously long conversations with someone else who's got a fellow um, interest, you know, a shared interest. It's very unifying, isn't it? Definitely, definitely. Maybe it's something in the milk. <laughs> so, and so you so what what does that sort of highlight you know what's something about you've worked with cheese for 12 years now are there yep. bits of your job that you absolutely still love and give you a thrill you know is there a sort of favorite bit of your job that you enjoy um I have to say it probably is the is the teaching um at this stage because that uh, is sort of well, I guess it's kind of infecting a whole new group of people with the, with the same enthusiasm that that we do get in the industry. It's definitely something that, through teaching the level one, I've seen a lot of people use that as a as a stepping stone into a career in cheese. So, and we've hired people directly out of the classroom sometimes. Um, so, definitely seeing 
the kind of the genesis of, uh, of a, a new generation of cheesemongers coming through in that way is, is really, really satisfying. Um, and of course, tasting the cheese, which there's, He's you know, there's never that. going to, there's <laughs> never going, I'm never going to have tried all of the cheeses. And that for me is, is not good enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, big, exciting world out there, isn't it? So yeah. lovely. Well, Hero, thank you so much for your time. Really lovely to talk to you again. <laughs> so, uh, Absolutely. Yeah, it's always program. a pleasure. To find out more about Food FM and our content, go to foodfmradio.com. Thank you so much for listening to A Slice of Cheese. I hope you've enjoyed it. If you have enjoyed it, it would be lovely if you could rate us on wherever you've found this podcast. It will make such a difference to us. So I hope you'll enjoy us again. Thank you very much.